Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. Hey, Thriving Farmers, this is Michael Kilpatrick back for another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. Today's guest is Michael Jordan, who is the founder and CEO at a bee-friendly company in Cheyenne, Wyoming. They provide education around bees as well as provide bee removal services and sell bee products. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. Thanks a lot, Mike. Uh, Actually glad to be here. A lot of stuff you guys have been doing in education is phenomenal of getting uh, people to understand about farming as well as just getting uh, the word out there that there are some great products from people that aren't on your store shelves and that's mm-hmm. uh, it's super good. Yeah. Some of the best products don't make it into the grocery store. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's totally true. Some of the best ones for you are yes. probably not on the shelf. Yeah. Yeah. So give me a little bit of your background. How did you uh, get started in beekeeping? I started making mead in uh, 1996 that my family are a long line mead makers Okay. from uh, Ireland and from Germany. And I got into making mead. And in 1999, I got into commercial beekeeping that I needed to get honey mm-hmm. to make mead. So I went ahead and I uh, bought a bee company out of California and we started doing pollination. And we mm-hmm. pollinated the almond fields and we'd bring the bees home. And it was a tremendous amount of work. Mm-hmm. And I lost a lot of money because I didn't know what I was doing. The bees would swarm and the bees were dying. And I didn't know about treatment and all that stuff of animal husbandry. I had no idea what any of that stuff was. And so then I, uh, about 2003, I took a trip to Uganda where beekeeping is like started. Uh-huh. And I uh, learned uh, beekeeping and got a master's degree in Uganda from the Department of Interior and a master beekeeping and followed beekeeping back, how it got back to America all the way to Virginia and how it got to my state and learned about how beekeeping was in Wyoming and just started from there and started from scratch. Uh, about that time, Katrina happened uh-huh. and we donated 1,500 beehives to uh, beekeepers in Louisiana to get their business started, which was a good deal for everybody all the way around. I stopped managing over 2000 beehives. I got me down to where it was manageable just for me and my father. Uh, we helped other beekeepers. It was a tax write-off. So, I mean, that helped us out tremendously to kind of get going again. And I took those skills and started, uh, teaching beekeeping and wrote a couple beekeeping programs, once for high school education, where we incorporate everything in a school. So you could use it for homeschooling or you could actually use it in a school and proved a point for the uh, state of Wyoming that uh, the largest agricultural business is beekeeping. For every Mm -hmm. dollar you put in, I can get you probably about $100 back, Mm -hmm. which is phenomenal when it comes to like what cattle raising is here and people tilling fields for monocropping and stuff like that, that they couldn't believe it that I, I, I built a beehive box out of a cardboard box from behind of a liquor store. Uh-huh. We found a swarm of bees, which were free. 
Yeah. And we ended up selling $250 worth of honey. So basically my $5 investment made me $250. Yeah. So there, that was phenomenal. And we uh, showed that beekeeping in a high school could uh, make a lot of money mm-hmm. and support school systems as well as products that they could sell to promote and not only educate more beekeeping inspectors that could be hired. Uh, we showed them that they can make a product and now I just, I kind of teach and make bees and teach, I teach a commercial beekeeping level. Mm-hmm. I just don't keep basic beekeeping and I'm getting ready right now to, uh, go, uh, to, uh, a bee college. Okay. And, uh, I'm trying to get everything ready for that. And we teach and I just, I kind of just basically educate and get, get a lot of word out there about commercial beekeeping. Um, now that I've kind of got everything back paid off, we're looking about getting into the mead business. Okay. Selling mead commercially. Very that's, cool. It's kind of like my whole, whole gambit of how I learned beekeeping and what I do with it and my goals. Yeah. Okay. So back to when you had the original company, how many hives are you managing for the almond fields? Uh, we had over uh, about, it was 2,575 about at the time. Uh, we bought out a company that had about 3,000 beehives. And, uh, we had about, we had about two, over, over 2,000 plus of them. Mm-hmm. And, and you can't really get a good variable amount because some beehives aren't strong. Yeah. And some of them you can split into multiple beehives when you get done with the almond run. And the almond run runs from about February to March. So we get our bees in the field about January and we pull them out at the end of the March to separate to go either north to pollinate pears and apples or go south to do oranges and avocados. And it's, it's okay. the pollination run. It's, yeah. it's the largest money-making beekeeping operation there is. Okay, interesting. But there's also some inherent dangers with that for the bees involved in just the whole operation, correct? Well, it's it's a necessity. The way that yeah. we, we feed our nation, it's a necessity that you have to have commercial beekeepers or what I call industrial beekeepers. An industrial mm-hmm. beekeeper has anywhere from 5,000 to, I know some beekeepers that have over 80,000 hives. Oh my gosh. And they, you know, it takes over 4 million beehives to pollinate the almond fields. Yeah. So we ship beehive, you know, we even bring beehives in sometimes from Australia to pollinate those. And um, pollination is sex. Yeah. And I, you know, it's kind of hard for people to understand that, that I'm, I'm making a better food product by pollination with 30% more increase of, of yeah. productivity from my field. And it's sex. And with sex, uh, there's venereal disease. Yeah, and that's basically the only way I can describe that is when you bring a whole bunch of different bees that are communal mm-hmm, and you mm-hmm. bring them into a field where like, say we, we take 4 million beehives and put them in the bee fields of, of almond groves and whatever your bees bring. And mm-hmm. like, if you have mites and they jump off into the flower and then my bees hit it and the mites jump onto my bees and it's, it's communal and it's, uh, uh, there's the trucking and traveling and there's only feeding high fructose corn syrup. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, when you feed your bees, you got to feed, I feed mine an F55 corn syrup. The bees really like it. It helps to promote wax faster. And then we flush them out and stuff and feed them honey with mixed with some lemongrass oil and peppermint and stuff to help their digestive system and stuff like that. But when you get them to the almond fields, you dump them with corn sugar and then they only eat almonds. 
I mean, mm-hmm. that's, they're in a field that's all they're getting. They're not getting a diverse uh, thing of uh, biological nature for their stomachs. Yeah. And, and I mean, if you sat and ate a Big Mac every day for two or three months, you're not going to be too healthy. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. that's the same thing. So it's not only uh, pest control. It also has to do with the dietary needs at the bees be. So it is difficult. There's the stress of trekking the bees such distance, the, the boxes bounce and, you know, you could kill a queen and, you know, the money making aspect, if I'm renting a, a, a single beehive at $180 a hive or a hundred, let's, well, let's say we'll do it easy. I run a beehive for a hundred dollars to take uh-huh. to an almond field and I'm going to have it set there for three months or two months. I have a thousand beehives. At a hundred dollars a month, that's a hundred thousand dollars. Wow! Yeah. Right. So, some of these industrial beekeepers that have ten thousand beehives for two months—that's two million bucks. So, when you're trucking your bees, there's the aspect of getting them there, getting them in the field as fast as you can, and so we wreck trucks. I mean, I'm sure you've read some trucks flipped over on the ground. Yeah. You got to remember that some of those bees are co-op because four four million beehives. You know, I don't have four million, mm-hmm. and I don't have the manpower to manage four million beehives. So some of us co-op, and I might have only five hundred hives to a thousand hives that I put on that truck, hoping to make a good profit. And the truck wrecks, and there's my livelihood. Yeah, I mean everything on the on the freeway. Mm-hmm. So there are some dangers about it. There, like you said, it's the trucking aspect. And now that we have uh, CDL problems and how mm-hmm. things are working with that, you have to stop at certain locations. You have to have fire hoses and stuff to spray down the bees so they can have water during the trip. Um, you know, it, there's a lot that goes with that pollination process. And it's expensive to make almonds. I don't think people understand that. I think it takes a gallon of water to make one almond. Yeah. Right. And then it, the pollination from the bees themselves and, that we bring in. So it costs a lot of money to make the food that people really enjoy. I mean, if you like almonds in, in your Snickers bar, or you like them on your ice cream, or you like them roasted to snack on, or, I mean, it's, it's expensive. Yeah. And it has to be and pollination all the way around is expensive that, you know, we bring them down to the, or, uh, or to the oranges and avocados, right. And you got to put, the, you know, so we load them all back up. We give them some corn sugar, we bring them down to the oranges. You cut off the corn sugar. They go out, they pollinate and grab nectar. And and it's so it's a very communal sexual thing. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm transferring pests and pest diseases. I have to inoculate. I have to treat them. It's animal husbandry. They are an insect, but I mean, it's animal yeah. husbandry. Very interesting. So let's talk about now moving more to what you do today. A lot of people see bees and get excited about bees. Why should more people be raising bees? Uh, if you're, uh, we're going to go from the smallest person that's the backyard guy. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, if you have bees, and I'm not just talking honeybees, I'm going to talk bumblebees, leafcutter bees. If you have a little backyard garden and you can get a bumblebee box or a, a hive to hold that, you're going to pollinate not only your garden which pollination instead of having an apple that's like this you get apples like this Uh uh if you want nice beautiful cucumbers and squash and lots of them you have bees 
So uh -huh. having that stuff in your garden really produces a lot for your home gardening, for your canning and stuff to, to make it huge. Uh, if you're a hobby farmer and you have uh, high tunnels and stuff like that and you want to produce more product, it's a 30% more increase on volume uh -huh. because of pollination. And it makes a diverse pollination. So you can even get really cool products on that level. I don't think people get that squashes are all the same variety and bees don't know that. Yeah. So you can even cross-pollinate acorn squash with zucchini. Your zucchini will have an interesting taste to it. So you can even uh, isolate and pollinate only your zucchini with tents. Or you can like, uh, I'm going to bring some pumpkin in here. Yeah. And for some reason, my zucchini has a little yellower tent in the center of it. So, so as a hobby farmer, there's some really cool stuff you can do with that if you know yeah. isolation techniques. And if you're a big farmer and you have huge crops and stuff, you bring those out there. And that's why they take them to the almond field. They do all this stuff. We take them to Texas to do is to pollinate everything now. Uh -huh. uh, they're blooming. I'm going to pollinate everything now so i could do rotation of crop production faster uh if you want seed there's a lot of seed companies how are you going to get lots of seed the sex of pollination mm -hmm. so the for the bigger industry so to get into bees it's for production of a lot of things it's it's to get your your food products better more of them and the production is now mm -hmm. because the bees bees never sleep they mm -hmm. work 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. A bee only lives for 30 days. It works itself completely to death. That's why they say when you're busy like a bee, you're yeah. working yourself to death. Yeah. So let's talk about, too, the other side, which is the products you can, the bees are making, too, because you can sell those as a farmer. Oh, yeah. You know, not, only, not only are you uh, producing a better food quality product, with manageability, uh, let's say you set up, let's say you set up at a farmer's market mm -hmm. you're selling your product and off to the side, you say, we do honey and bees. Now as a commercial beekeeper that I teach commercial beekeeping, one of the biggest products we sell is bees. Mm -hmm. Uh, bees, you're going to lose bees as a beekeeper. You're like, Oh man, I'm going to lose bees. Well, if you have chickens, sometimes their beaks are switched like scissors or sometimes they, they've got different growths you're gonna that's why you get lots of chicks because mm -hmm. you're gonna lose some of them in yeah, agriculture yeah. you have losses and those are some things you have to deal with so you can sell packages of bees uh we sell a hive that looks like this this is uh just one level it has a window in it so you can see the bees in the back but we sell one whole thing with bees in it for 250 dollars. oh wow the box cost me roughly 60 dollars to make and the bees roughly cost me about eighty dollars, so that's one hundred and fifty dollars, and I'm going to make a hundred dollar profit over that. Mm -hmm. So that's a big sell. So just selling bees themselves can be a big money maker, but you can get into some cool products. I mean, like you know, a pound of honey can sell anywhere from five dollars to twenty dollars, depending on where the honey came from. If it's a specialized honey, like orange blossom honey or saffron or it may came out of upstate New York and some people just want the pollen in their system from that area for allergies so they can sell for a good product you can make some cool things like honey sticks mm -hmm, mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. and sell them for 25 cents a piece at, at right off your stand people will come up and go, oh we'll try your honey 
and it's a good giveaway gift. Mm -hmm. So if people buy stuff like some really a lot of your produce products, you throw a couple honey sticks in it. So, you know, we sell honey too. Uh, you can get really cool with your honey production. These are called Ross rounds and they, they get comb in the honey all in one shot. So you can chew it like bubble gum and eat it or crush it and spread it. And you're going to get everything from pollen to mm -hmm. everything in it. And we do some super cool stuff like powdered honey mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where you boil it and make it into a candy and then crush it and grind it down. And uh, at a farmer's market, if you're allowed to have a hot plate, and you throw some of your natural bacon that you're raising on your farm. You sprinkle that uh, powdered honey on it and it caramelizes on it right there. The smell of it and the sweetness of it, people will buy it. Uh -huh. You can sell your powdered honey. And as we teach, if you want to give gifts away, like I said, uh, you, uh, the Alcohol and Liquor Commission is a whole different variable. But, you know, you can, you can have people come in and taste you and say, hey, thanks for buying some product. Would you like to taste something really nice or something, you know, and you, you bring out a bottle of mead, right. Of a honey wine and you uh, have people just uh, have a little taste. Or if you're teaching a agricultural class, it's something that you can say uh, a taste. It makes a great gift for Christmas and stuff that people taste. And there's a big story about mead and it's really super cool uh -huh. of how, how, it, how, of how Kings had it. And, used it to parlay and there's some really cool stuff about it but as products go you can sell bees you can sell honey you can sell beeswax you can sell royal jelly you can sell pollen you can sell queens uh -huh. you can if you're woodworking where you could set up maybe make some boxes and just sell them there i mean there are so many products just to sell from beekeeping as well as teaching it as an educational value like myself I, you know, I, I get to travel all over the world and teach beekeeping. Uh -huh. And I, you know, I get to see a lot of places and I make some, you know, some decent money teaching and education. Yeah. So like if you were to charge for, let's say a home class for like a local people, what do you think a farmer could charge to teach beekeeping like a one day class? Oh, uh, well, I always have a, a, a person that comes up and I tell them it's $250 for me to come and teach you personally for the day. Uh -huh. and and i and i mean i go a lot of stuff bring your video camera to record it bring your notepad ask questions uh if you want to supplement that 250 dollars uh you let me sell some of my product uh -huh. and you invite some people and we'll charge them 25 to 30 dollars for them to come for the course as well and then that way i will reduce your cost by a little bit by selling them some of my product if they come and you got to let them know that you got to support the guy, right? You got to buy <laughs> yes. some honey from the guy. You know, it's, it's a wash my back kind of thing that if, if I'm going to knock it down to $150 and take that hundred dollar loss, yeah. I need to be able to sell some of that product. And I need some of these people to register. Uh -huh. So I usually uh -huh. like to have a venue of no more than 50 people. And uh, it's usually about $2,500 for the day. And uh, we, we start at uh, seven o'clock in the morning, you know, and I feed you uh -huh. and I teach a whole class for the day. And it usually goes from seven to seven. So you've got a good 12 hour class. I like 50 people, no more. That way I like to answer your questions. Uh -huh. I like everybody know that it's for them. And, you know, we're charging about $30 a person for 50 people. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Very cool. 
So let's talk about pollination because you've kind of gone over there's different types of bees and um, you said even like the the bumblebees, even like some of the leafcutter bees. Talk a little bit about how easy it's to get to started with those. Uh, you know, bumblebees are really super cool. You just need a shoebox with a hole in it and uh, go get some pink insulation. I know it sounds odd, but bumblebees love that. Okay. And you get a box and then just kind of put an ad out there on Craigslist, Facebook, somewhere that, hey, if you have if you have bumblebees in your area, let me know. Bumblebees are fat. They only go, uh, they're not like a honeybee that can travel up to two miles to, for food, forage. A bumblebee likes to stay at home. It's like living in the inner city. They just kind of go back and forth to a local area. And if you set up like a box in that area, they'll get right in it. Then you can bring them home and you can put them in, in your greenhouse. Uh -huh. uh, I worked with a guy in New Zealand that produces millions of strawberries, and he uses bumblebees in his greenhouse okay. to pollinate all his strawberries because they they just go back and forth in there, and they're not really aggressive, so uh -huh. they're really nice. Uh, leaf cutter bees are seed. Uh, in northern Wyoming, we have tons of uh, beekeepers that just keep leaf cutter bees, and they put them out there and they they make seed for alfalfa and uh -huh. for clover and that's like their big thing is they they go out there and like alfalfa has a a, a flower that has a thing that knocks when you get in there to pollinate it it's called a knocker thing a knocker and uh, leaf cutter bees have a hunch on their back that allows them to get in there and when it starts knocking on them it doesn't bother them okay uh, big thing are mason bees yeah, mason bees are super easy to catch and easy to maintain. And you can just roll up nice little uh, cardboard tubes or paper tubes and or bamboo. And that's like what most people see when they see bee habitat or these bamboo tubes and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, you take that down to the river bank and the bees will eventually migrate in it and cap it. And you can bring it home and then you just need a swimming pool with half, half mud, half water so they can keep uh, making mud and capping them up and they'll just keep making them and man mason bees pollinate even 25 percent more than honeybees do uh -huh. so i mean uh, on, when it comes to pollination there i mean there's you don't have to have honeybees uh, leafcutter bees don't make honey bumblebees don't make honey mason uh -huh. bees don't make honey but they're a more pollinator than even honeybees are it's just a People like keeping the honeybees because of the extra products. Yeah, yeah, it's a sweet, sweet reward. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. So I know a lot of people. The biggest concern is that they don't know how to manage bees. Or it's going to take too much time to manage. How much uh, time should people have for, let's say, if they want to get started with, let's say, six hives? Okay. Well, six hives is a, is, is actually a good manageable thing for a hobby beekeeper. Uh huh. Uh, I, uh, we, we, we teach the nine eleven method. Okay. And what the, uh, the, the system we teach is the M three, nine eleven. The M three is the type of hive. The nine eleven is the, the inspection series that you should be watching your bees every nine to 11 days to nine to 11 months. And that has to do with where you're at in my area. We only work the bees about nine months out of the year because of the temperatures drop mm -hmm. and there's no fo foliage. They call it Darth. There's there's nothing for the bees to eat. Uh, or every nine to 11 days. And uh, like I said, bees only live for 30 days. Uh, you have to learn bee biology. Uh -huh. And what that means is uh, queens takes about 15 days to make. 
So if you're checking your bees every nine to 11 days, you're going to catch a queen cell mm -hmm. if they're making it. Uh, when bees swarm, the queen hatches and she takes over that hive and the old queen leaves with the bees. That means 50% and 50% of your honey's gone, right? So every nine to 11 days, if you catch that queen cell, you can make a split, which mm -hmm. means you went from one beehive to two. Yes. And yes. you can manage that. Now you're growing and it doesn't cost you anything other than building the hardware to keep yeah. the bees in them. So it's, uh, it's, it's about nine to 11 days and about to work a beehive. There's four times out of the year that you have to spend some time in the hive where you really have to go through it, uh, doing mic checks and to see if there's massive queen cells to scrape out some burr comb. There's, I mean, there's sometimes where you really have to get in there. It's going to take you about 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. But most of the time it's about five minutes in a beehive. You're, you're going to go in, you're going to smoke the top of the lid. You're going to lift it up. You tilt your box sideways. You look to see down the slots. If you see any queen cells, if you don't, you flip the other box up. You look to see if there's any queen cells. If there's no queen cells or anything like that, you flip the boxes back down. You go ahead and see uh, weigh them to see if they're gaining weight. And if they're mm -hmm. gaining weight, they're either gaining in population or they're producing honey, depending mm -hmm. on what you're looking for when you're weighing them. But it doesn't it doesn't take much time to go through them, and it and it, de and it depends on what you're doing with the bees. If you're a backyard beekeeper and you have five hives, uh, basically you're, you're just going to go through and you're going to look to see if they're going to swarm and you're going to go ahead and check to see if you have mites. And then you're going to go ahead and check to see if you need to put honey boxes on them to give them room or to produce a product. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're on the industrial end where you're traveling with 20,000 beehives to go to an end, right? You're, you're going through and you're inoculating them. Uh, it takes a, it takes a little bit more time and, it, and you're going to hire a few more guys so mm -hmm. you can do it fast and do it on repetition. You're, you're not really worried about if the bees swarm as much, as much as they have brood. So that way they're hatching in the field to go to work. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I might, I might have a swarm go off, but if I got lots of brood and it's hatching and I got a new queen, you know, I'm pretty much good to go. So, you know, nine to 11 days, and then about five to 15 minutes per hive. Mm -hmm. So if someone was to get started, would you recommend around that six hives or how many would you recommend them start with? Oh, I wish, I, I wish you'd start off with three. Okay. Because start the next three. year, because next year you're going to have six. Okay. And the next gonna year after them. that, you're going to have 12. Yeah. And then after that, you're going to have 24. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just going to get out of control for you. Yeah. Right. If you, if you know how to manage and do them. So if, if you start off with three beehives, the first thing that I, that you do is you, is, uh, you need to know if bees are for you. Mm -hmm. And that's a course that I teach. And it's our bees for you. And it's only, it's a little, it's a little thing that we just do. And it only takes about 15 minutes. It's $5 and it's going to save you to know if you want them or not. Yes. Can you take a sting? Yeah. What are your local laws? Mm -hmm. What are your HOA laws? Mm -hmm. What are your neighbors like? yeah what location can you place the bees how available are bees to get in your location what's the food source for them so i mean we go through a thing and we kind of fill out a whole thing with you to see if bees are for you in the first place but to get going you know we get you you know if you if you pass all the qualifications that we feel that is going to make it so you are a, a beekeeper and not a haver uh -huh. a bee haver is a treatment-free beekeeper 
They feel that you don't have to treat them. Bees have been around for a long time and those bees are going to die. They're going to swarm and basically you don't care because you're a haver. I just, I just have a hive and sometimes swarms go in it. Sometimes swarms leave it and, and I don't really care. I just have them. But mm -hmm. to be a beekeeper, we try to sit down and, and go over things. I think three beehives is pretty good. It, it gives you the ability to see one growing really strong, probably one that's not doing well at all, and you're going to feel <laughs> the loss, and one that you're going to help manipulate and kind of go through that you can play with more and that you're going to do more with. Uh, you're going to lose bees. Mm -hmm. As a beekeeper, you're, th they're going to die. I've killed thousands of hives. and made thousands of hive that's part of the beekeeping system is the animal husbandry if you can take one beehive and populate it um it just takes making queens which is a a skill mm -hmm. you make queens and then a cup of bees and a small beehive and you've got another hive i i can take one of my beehives and probably split it anywhere from 10 to 20 times if i'm making queens and i can just make that beehive go from big to just a little bitty beehive and I'll have 20 of them. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's about manipulation of, of how to make those. Uh, like I said, it's a super phenomenal business, but as a beginning person, you get three beehives, you get yourself a mentor or mm -hmm. you join a good bee club where you can ask some questions and uh, just kind of really, really learn about the animal husbandry of it. Uh, the biology of, of how the hive works and you'll do pretty good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, absolutely. So uh, let's talk about um, diseases. Cause I know that's something diseases and pests and you say they really come because let's say you're in the, like the, all of uh, the, the almond groves and they get transferred back and forth. Are there other ways to get transferred and what do you recommend for people to resist them? Oh, right. So man, that's a great question. And I don't think people get this that, Bees can travel up to five miles. Most of the time they stay within a two mile radius of where their hive is to work. Uh, another beekeeper or somebody that just has a beehive or there's feral bees in a tree, they're in that area too. Mm -hmm. So bees are very communal because uh, a flower, I can't see it, but a bee can see it. You'll notice on a plant, how come I got four or five flowers, but the bees are only hitting this one, mm -hmm. right? This flower is making a, a sign of color as well. It's vibrating that the bees see. I don't see it, but the bees mm -hmm. do. So you might have a flower that's hit three or four times, maybe with a same bees from one hive or maybe bees from a couple different locations. So whatever they have, you're going to contract. Mm -hmm. Not only that, you have wax moth and you have hive beetle and you have the varroa destructor trachea mites and stuff like that that bees pick up. And it's from flying around or what happens at night. Moths fly around at night mm -hmm. and they can kind of land on your beehive and then they crawl in and they lay larvae in there. And, you know, when at night then the bees are cold and, or, or they're working and on a warm day, they don't really see that as fast as sometimes, or, or some of the hive beetles will come in and walk right in. So, there, you know, there's some certain things, like you can see our beehives here, they have these little holes that we've drilled in them. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of beehives that you buy, they have a big landing board on them. And I, like I said, I learned it in Uganda and stuff, and there's no tree 
There's no building. There's nothing that has that big landing board on it. I, I've yeah. never seen one. So we, we make these, we build ours with these little holes and the bees can guard it better. Mice can't get into it. Uh, uh, beetles and stuff just don't walk into them. There's not a landing board where the bees uh -huh. land and walk in. The bees land on the side of the hive and they wander to the hole and they wander in. This eliminates a lot of pests, a lot of flying pests that usually hit the hive, fall on the landing board and walk right in. It eliminates a lot of things. So when buying a car, you like some upgrades. Uh -huh. Buying a hive, there's some upgrades that you do. And there's certain things in, in, in buying a hive and stuff to manage those pests. It's what you're going to do with those bees. Are, are you pollinating your, your food? Are you making a product? Are uh -huh. you making more bees? That's the commercial beekeeping aspect of what are you doing with that beehive? Because some beehives I'm only collecting pollen from. And I've got pollen traps on them, and that's all they do is for three days, I knock the pollen off of bees, and I collect it, and then I move those to another beehive. Uh -huh. So that way they can get pollen in to feed their bees again. So, I mean, there's, there's, it's what you're going to do to, to manage that type of pest or disease. Like if you have fox, skunks, badgers, anything like that, you want to get your beehives at least 18, off, 18 inches off the ground. That way it's not only easier for you as a fat old man to, to grab <laughs> bee boxes, the pest, the predator has to get up and look to get at those bees exposing their face and stuff where the CO2 comes out where bees will sting. Uh -huh. uh, if you have mice problems and stuff, you put mice guards over the holes. We don't have problems like that because we're using these types of systems. If yeah. you have ants, ants are terrible, right? But you got to learn how to make ant traps and how to lay down fabric on the ground and use Dominicus earth and do some stuff like that to manage those types of pests. You have to learn pest management by how to look for it. You know, every uh, in the in the spring, we just got done doing a, an OA, which is oleic acid vaporization, mm -hmm. where we vaporize it and stick it in the thing, and it goes through the hive and it gets in the joints and stuff of the mites and kills them. Uh, but you have to do you know how do you know if you have mites? Yeah, you have to do alcohol wash. So you're gonna have to take a cup full of bees and put them in a jar and shake them with some alcohol and go through and see if there's a mite count. See if you have mites. And I'm going to guarantee you probably do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you got to check, you know, so the pest management and stuff is a, is a whole, whole criteria. It, uh, anything from bears all the way down to the little trachea varola mite. Of, do you have a magnifying glass at home or a microscope to look? And what are you looking for for the trachs? And then when it comes to diseases, you have to know what you're looking for. Like, do you have American fowl brood, which if you haven't, more than likely, you're going to burn your beehive so it doesn't spread to your other beehives because it, it's bees are communal. Just uh -huh. like I said before, if this hive's sick and they know it, they're going to start leaving and bringing offerings to another hive. Uh, they get jumped in. I mean, uh -huh. you know, they, they get roughed up because you're not from our beehive and stuff, but I'm bringing pollen. I keep on bringing it in. and All of a sudden, the smell of my queen evaporates off me and I get in this hive and whatever disease I have, I've brought in. So, you know, you got to look for dysentery, nosema, American fowl brood, uh, wax moth, uh, trachea mites. I mean, there's, 
it's it there's a lot to go that's just like anything you do with with animals it's animal uh-huh. husbandry so there are some things with it that you have to treat and like i said i i, I never believed in treatment brief beekeeping because if if you're a treatment-free beekeeper, you left them in the tree. <laughs> yes, yes. Right, that's, that's where they, you just yeah. leave them there. You, I, I've got a bee tree and the bees come out and I don't mess with them. Yeah. That's treatment-free. As soon as you've got bees and put them in this hive, you've already treated them. You put them into a home that you can look at, which means you're treating them. Yes. And if you yeah. treat bees, treat them good. Uh-huh. That's that's the one thing I can say about it is treat them good, right? Feed them, check them for pests, make sure they don't have diseases and, and stuff like that. Be a good beekeeper, you know? It does take a little bit of time. Uh, like I said, when we had over 2,000 beehives, I think there was seven of us working. And it uh-huh. was way too much. I think that's why I had a lot of problems. I didn't know. I had to learn. Uh-huh. I had to go and learn. Yeah. So uh, you'd mentioned uh, some of the essential oils earlier. Are you using those mainly for just health or you actually use those to treat any of the problems? Uh, both. Okay. I even use essential oils to even attract bees. Oh, very interesting. Right. So like uh, on my YouTube channel, right, we show how to do a mobile uh, hive. Uh, okay. Catcher. Uh, so you can catch bees. And man, so I... <laughs> In, in my local area, Cheyenne, Wyoming, I have a map. Yep. And I got push pins in the map. And like, so a guy calls me and says, hey, I have a swarm of bees. They're in my tree. I get the address and location I put a push pin in. And all of a sudden, I have some location where there's a lot of push pins. Yeah. That they're getting some swarms in those areas. So I go out during swarm season, and I set up my mobile swarm trap with lemongrass oil. Okay. And I get free bees. <laughs> right, so I just okay. set them up instead yeah. of them landing on people's houses, cars, in their trees. They just go right to my swarm traps, and I just catch them. Yeah, and I've got them kind of isolated by putting my push pins in by doing by doing these calls, and it's a bit of business for me. Mm-hmm. That uh, when people call to get swarms, I charge them twenty five bucks, and I'll come and get the swarm. Yeah, if it's a bee removal, that's a lot of money. That means they're already inside your home, and they've made yeah. home everything in there we have to get your homeowner's insurance we have to get a construction guy to rebuild your house and we have to get all the honey all the bees and everything out of there and clean it all up that's big money mm-hmm. but i use essential oils to attract those bees uh there was a gentleman that i learned from from germany his name was gunther hawk mm-hmm. he's a biodynamic beekeeper mm-hmm. uh, i think he's in virginia now he used to be in upstate new york but i think he's in virginia now and it's called Spike Nard Farms. Okay. And they just developed a bee feed that you can buy, and it has lemongrass oil in it. It has a tea tree oil in it. It has peppermint in it. It's to help the digestive and the cognitive nature of the bees. I don't think people understand when a bee flies, it goes through leaves and it hits its head, and a raindrop falling or some sand blowing is like riding a motorcycle and somebody throwing a paint bucket at you. Yeah. Right? So those bees yeah, are yeah. getting hit in their head. And he's made a a, a a feed that he calls BT. And it's got a whole bunch of stuff in it for regenerative stuff. Uh, there's some other beekeepers that I know in Ohio and in Georgia that follow another beekeeper. They put sumac and stuff inside their smokers. Yeah. And uh, rhubarb leaves. I use a little bit of rhubarb for preventative maintenance because it has oleic acid 
naturally yep. forming in it. Yep. Uh, so yeah, we're I, we do use some stuff to feed, treat the bees, to catch bees, and to manipulate the bees. So yeah, there's uh -huh. there's different things to use for oils as well as natural plant life. Yeah, I remember when we were doing bees back in New York, we actually used the sumac in our smoker. Um, and it was mainly because it just worked really well as a good smoke, but I didn't know that it actually was helpful too. Yeah, well, the sumac has uh, some stuff that I guess drives mites away. Huh. It's in a nice, cool white smoke. Yeah. You don't want black smoke with flame coming out of yeah. it, like a turbo <laughs> engine, you know. I see guys get that going, and it's a turbo engine going on that smoker, but yeah, a nice, yeah. cool smoke that, that vibrates. And, and some of our smokers, we use frankincense. Okay. So I use frankincense and like three or four little cones wrapped yep. in cardboard. We get them going and then it just a nice smoke and it gives a nice smell. And I, I, I believe that uh, I have a certain pheromone that I come out to the beehive with. And when I'm using frankincense, they know it's always me. Uh -huh. Right. That they know, oh, there's that smell again. This is when the guy comes through and he's popping the hive open and stuff. And then when it comes to harvesting honey, right. Uh, we we throw everything on there like i go to the dollar store and i get bad cologne okay and I spray that on there and then those bees know wow, this is a different smell this is totally bad and we steal honey that way when we come out they're used to the good smell and they're they they're more keen to looking for that bad smell that uh, i have i recommend everybody having three bee suits that's just me it's what we teach you have hmm. one you wear in the bee field, one you're washing, and one if you need to go to a different apiary or somewhere else. Because bees are going to sting that suit. They yeah. put out a pheromone that's like banana oil, and other bees smell it. So if you're, that suit's getting stung, you don't want to go out there the next day, and then they just go, oh, that's that yeah. guy that you're supposed to sting because of that pheromone. On it. So, yeah, we, we do do manipulation, everything from plant life to oils to even like incense. So, yeah, the, uh -huh. yeah we, we teach all kinds of stuff. Very cool. Um, so let's talk about taking off honey. What is the season for that? And when, I know some problem, I've seen some people, they take too much and that can be a problem as well. At the end of the year, we take all the honey. Okay. I don't want to say, uh, whatever is out there gets trapped in the beeswax and in the honey. So my bees might be collecting honey. They might not be eating it, but they might be collecting honey from uh, let's say sorghum or from uh, soybeans. That's a good one. Uh -huh. uh, almost 80% of all your soybeans are GMO. Uh -huh. So all the stuff that's inside a soybean in their flower and stuff, the bees are collecting. And it's everything from the ground where the plant pulls its nutrients from. So if they're spraying the ground with anything or they're doing anything like that, the plants absorb it and it goes right to the nectar flow, mm -hmm. right to the plant source of producing the sexual organs. So the bee gets in there and they take that and they bring that back and they store it inside the honey. I don't want them eating that. Mm -hmm. so usually at the end of the year, I steal all their honey and I make a fondant to feed them. That way they're fed over the winter on something that I know that I can, can kind of control. Mm -hmm. Uh but there's certain ways that you collect honey. Like I said, you saw the Ross round honeycomb. Uh -huh. Those are kind of cool, right? And those are usually collected towards the end of the year after they're filled up. But if you're doing a specialized honey, like uh, we move our bees into an, an orchard, an uh, orange grove, right? When that, when we're done with that orange grove, we collect the honey. 
If we move them to the avocado, we collect the avocado honey. Okay. If we move them into the pecans, when we're done moving them there, we collect the honey. So collection of honey can, can happen a couple different times a year. And big collections are towards the end of the year where you try to get all the honey out. And people are like, oh, you got to leave them something to eat. Well, they'll, they'll store it around their frames uh-huh. where, they're, where they're supposed to be. The honey boxes you put on top, you take all that. And then when you're downsizing, you know, we, we do a, a, a split at the end of the year. We call it a winter nook. Okay. And that way we can split them off a little bit. But this is agriculture. This is, they're, I understand they're an insect. It's hard to get in people's head that this is like raising cows. Mm-hmm. You have to feed them, you know. So when you're like, "Oh, I got these big boxes and they're full of honey," they'll make it all year. If you don't have the colony to keep that whole box warm, you just killed off that whole hive. Mm-hmm. That it, uh, how how I can say it? It's like an apartment you can't afford. I got this really nice apartment we moved into, yeah, but I can't afford it because when it gets cold in the winter time, I got to heat it. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. There's not enough bees for us to heat it, so we die. Uh-huh. Right, you got to keep bees compacted and in little spaces. That's what they like. And so we harvest all the honey at the end of the year and compact the bees and feed them. That way, when they come out, we can feed them the nice uh, dysentery, disinfectant feeds to kind of flush out their system to get them going. Because like I said, over the wintertime, they're dormant, but alive. They're like penguins. They, they kind of do this heartbeat thing where the cold ones move to the inside, the warm ones move to the outside to keep the queen warm. Because the queen's uh-huh. warm. She lays next year. We can reboot because I'm only living for 30 days anyway. After 30 uh-huh. days, I'm dead. So uh, those are some stuff with the animal husbandry that we have to do. So when it comes into collecting honey and stuff, we collect it usually about uh, August to October. Uh-huh. Then we winterize them and get them ready to ship to, to do the almond runs and all this stuff. Or we're specializing some field stuff that we do that we have an area that has a, a guy that grows Mexican saffron and clover. And usually about the July, into July, after he lets it blossom for us, he's chopping that down for exotic hay for horses. Okay. So that, then we just go ahead and we pull that right away because that's a beautiful tasting honey. It has, I mean, it, the color of it, it's like a gold color. Mm-hmm. See that? I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's like yeah. a really nice looking honey. And it's it doesn't taste like sugar. It's a good tasting honey that's sweet, but... A lot of people get this really clear. They're like, man, look how clear this sugar is. And it is. It's just like sugar. Yeah. You know, I, I like more, you know, tasted honey from all over the world. There's some honeys I really like, some I don't. Yeah. 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 What would you say your favorite one is? Uh, I like Periwinkle. Okay. Uh, from Ireland. It's a really beautiful smelling. I like uh, Tolupo. T- t- yeah. honey mm-hmm. uh, that's man that's a great tasting honey uh when i make meads i like avocado or i like clover uh clover mm-hmm. honey is probably one of the most favorite for a lot of people yeah it's a great yeah. great flavor great taste great in teas great in coffees it's it's really good but i uh, you know i like periwinkle honey the tulupio and uh, the saffron clover is really good that's why we do it but uh, for mead making, I like avocado and some uh, buckwheat. Uh-huh. And buckwheat's really cool. Um, it's a darker honey. Uh-huh. That's, that's really cool. That you know, some of the darker honeys are the best for cooking and the best for taste. Yeah, yeah. It just depends what you what you know. Everybody has their own flavor, but those are mine. 
Mm-hmm. Well, so when, uh, when we were in New York, we did a lot with the maple world. And obviously the darker the color of the syrup, the more flavor that's in there. And um, yeah, we would be like as dark as we can make it. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. With that, let's stop here and take a quick break. In a minute, we'll be back with Michael Jordan from a bee-friendly company. If you've been enjoying this episode so far, you're going to want to head over to growingfarmers.com backslash free resources and download our free resource bundle to help you shave hours off your week and become a thriving farmer. It includes resources such as our 10 winter growing secrets we wish we knew when we started, which is a ebook which talks about the tips and techniques to get better growth in your winter production. We teach things like the simple but counterintuitive principle that trips up most beginning growers, the shape and size of tunnels that are best for winter production, how to prepare beds so they are weed-free and get beautiful lush stands of crops, what to do about pests like aphids, voles, and slugs, how to fast-track your research to fine-tune your production for your microclimate, and how to pack in more crops for higher yields and profits. So head over to growingfarmers.com backslash free resources and download your free resource bundle today. All right, guys, we are back here with Michael Jordan from a bee-friendly company. Michael, talk to us. At the beginning, you mentioned the educational aspect with kids in the classroom. Talk to us a little bit more about that because that's I'm super excited about that. Oh, me too. And that's why I do it. That's super awesome that you would bring that up. So we developed a program about teaching kids beekeeping. When I first did it, we used to go to all the schools with an observation hive and tell them about beekeeping. And then I realized that what are kids really learning and what are you really teaching them? So I got with uh, Matt powers mm-hmm. yep. and uh, we talked about education and how do you, how do you get education? Cause I mean, he's like a teacher. I mean, he yeah. worked in the educational field for a long time before he got into his permaculture student stuff. And, and we really talked about this. And uh, then I talked to Justin road mm-hmm. about uh, all the aspects of what he was doing with chickens and I kind of put all that together and I took the homeschooler aspect and I put it in a classroom at a school, which was phenomenal. And what we did with education is not only we talked about all the animal husbandry, beekeeping and stuff and the FFA stuff that went with it. I went to the alternative aspect of some things with it. And we went to the woodworking department and we said, this is the design of the beehives we want to build. And we even incorporated something cool. You can see ours have windows in them, uh-huh. which is which is not seen. So we we incorporated the woodworking department and made them have a trade skill uh-huh. of how to do dados and rabbiting and how to use a router and all this stuff. So we trade we made a trade skill for them. Then we went to the art department and the art department painted all the hives. So we got the art department involved. We went to the mathematics division and asked, what is this costing all of us? Uh-huh. We ended up making an accounting division with mathematics that they tracked our time, how long we were out at the bee yards, what it would cost for a beekeeper to work those days, what the hives cost, what the bees cost, what the packaging stuff cost. So we ended up making an accounting division that accounted for everything that we did and showed us our profits and losses. Then we documented it. So we went to the English department and we had somebody translate everything that we did, like what we saw during the day between either the temperatures, 
to the mite checks to everything and made a book of a seasonal beekeeper. Oh, wow. So they were able to track everything and, and document it just like a reporter would do it. Then we had product and we called the media department up and the music department made a jingle and wrote a <laughs> jingle awesome. to sell it. And then we went to the media department and they took that jingle and made a commercial. And then the commercial aired on television. So then people were like really inspired of these kids that wrote the jingle and they got to see them working in the field and the media department showing all the stuff with the product. And then how do you get the product? We incorporated the culinary division mm-hmm. and they made baklava and they made all different kinds of products. They were taking honeycomb into chunks and dipping it into chocolate and doing some really culinary stuff that they ended up feeding our uh, congressional state Congress that they called and they would bring honey from the kids made into a deculent product that the, that the legislature was like, wow, this is super cool. Yeah. Right. We got the science division involved and they were doing all the testing for the mites, the trachea mites. They were dissecting the bees and doing bee biology. So I incorporated everything that you would learn in school in bees. Mm -hmm. So basically if you wanted to, you could eliminate everything that the educational system does and just do beekeeping. And it does everything (laughs) for school, everything from selling product to getting out in the field and doing, you know, lifting beehives and all kinds of stuff is physical education. I mean, there was a lot that went through all of this when it went to education, when we did this, like I said, you could throw out a whole curriculum of a school and just bring in this beekeeping thing. And it would did science. It did English. It did math. It had everything from the alternatives from building woodware to the art classes, to culinary department for, to selling the product for marketing. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was so much involved in it. And we took a grant. When we first wrote this, we wrote a grant for a grant from the Wyoming School District Department. They gave us a $2,000 grant to do all this. We ended up at the end, before uh, all the kids moved on and stuff for four years, we had over 12 beehives running, and we had made over $17,000. Wow. So we, we, in four years, had taken $2,000 and made it into a $10,000 a year income Yeah, that you can start doing. I mean, it took us a little bit more time. I mean, mm-hmm. I could probably do that for you now to make $10,000 in a year, mm-hmm. right, by marketing. But I was teaching more than just beekeeping. We were doing yeah. so much more with it. And working with kids is really cool, especially when they're little. I teach over 1,000 kids that are fourth to fifth grade every year. I do that for free for the one Department of Agriculture that – we spend two days with over a thousand kids from fourth to fifth grade. They come to a big building at our, we have a ag building and they all sit and I teach them beekeeping to teach them the agricultural process uh, of fourth and fifth graders. And I do a thousand of them every year for free. And wow. that's uh, one thing that I give back is that in the fourth and fifth grade, they understand a little bit more uh-huh, about what's uh-huh. going on before they get into junior high. Kind of like, what, what we're doing about it when you got kindergartners and stuff they like the honey sticks and look we got honey sticks and all kinds of stuff they get to see the bees all walking in and you can show them the queen so when it comes to education with kids it's super fun uh the little they are the more the depth they are when they get older you have to show them that you're gonna make money this mm-hmm. is this is this is a money maker 
and not to mention many states right now are looking for a uh, beekeeper for inspections because it's such a big thing and we've had colony collapse disorder we move bees for food pollination and stuff they're looking for trained individuals that know how to look for all those aspects of trachea mite and stuff and because you know i think here in the state of wyoming we only have five we used to only have three i think we have five inspectors now one of, one of them was a kid that i taught oh wow we've got them around because we ship eighty thousand bee or we have eighty thousand beehives here in wyoming of, uh, we have 8,000 beekeepers. Wow. So we have a company called the Bryant Brothers, and they have over 10,000 beehives. And to inspect all those beehives when they leave California and come back takes a group. So, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, it's not like they're coming through in one day and checking them all. It takes a couple days. Yeah. And when you have a lot of hobby beekeepers and home beekeepers and stuff like that, we need more inspectors, especially for clubs and groups, that if you have a beekeeping club like Ohio's got a big one. Pennsylvania's got a big one. It's good to have somebody that has that, that you can say, hey, I know you're in our group. You think you can come out and check, see if I got no SEMA? Because mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm looking for, right? So teaching kids that on that level, it's a job. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that goes with beekeeping when it comes to job that it's just not pollination, selling bees or selling honey. Uh, we had one kid take the honey and developed a brand new barbecue sauce. Right. And that was his goal. And he moved to Texas. And I think he has his barbecue company down there. Uh-huh. And he, uh-huh. you know, so it's not only those stuff, he's not even working with bees, but he needs a beekeeper. Uh-huh. Right. It's like yeah. mead making. I might not keep bees, but I make honey wine and it's a product that I can sell. And it's extravagant. I mean, it's expensive. Yeah. It's an expensive drink. It's high in alcohol. It tastes, man, it's got some super taste to it. So, I mean, when you teach kids on a level that not only when it's fun when they're little, but they could make money from it when they're older on something that outdoors, I don't have to work for a boss. I can do this on my own or I can work for a big company like Dannon or Man Lake and sell product. It it makes a big difference. And it's super cool to work with the kids on that level. Mm -hmm. And I bet the kids were super enthused about it. Well, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's getting them outside and, they're sitting in a classroom and they're learning about bugs. Yeah. You know, people think about entomology and it's spiders and it's, you know, different insects, but we're learning about beekeeping and bugs. And it's, it's super, they really get in tune with that, that we're not dissecting a pig, man. Uh We got a microscope now and we're getting right in there and we're looking at inside of a trachea of a bee to see if it's got trachea mite. You know, it takes a little bit more of a skilled hand and stuff, and it makes them feel kind of, yeah, you know, like super important. When you make yeah. kids feel important, they are important, and mm-hmm. they do great things. Yeah, absolutely. So you've been in now this business a long time. If you were to, let's say, try to start over again in your business, what would you have changed? Uh, I would have gotten all those beehives at the beginning and wasted all my money. It took me a long time to rebuild all that because, yeah. you know, I jumped in with a $200,000 investment. Mm-hmm. I lost a lot of money because I didn't mm-hmm. know what the hell I was doing, man. And let's just get that right out there that education, I would have, I would have went and I would have mentored at some big apiaries. I have a guy, his name's Dan Wielder, who called me, says that same question, what would you have done? So I hooked him up and he ended up working with a bee company in Montana. And ended up being really good and then applied for a job as a beekeeper for Hawaiian honey in Hawaii. Oh. And so, I mean, so he's got to travel doing beekeeping and doing some really cool stuff and has harvested yeah. 
and sent me some really cool honeys. And he took my advice. And my advice is that the best thing is you can do is find somebody that's beekeeping now mm-hmm. and work with them before you get bees. Uh, buy yourself a bee suit, go out there and say, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm willing to even give you 50 bucks to work with you this year a little bit, or, you know, I'm willing to give you $25 today to come out and see what you're doing. Mm-hmm. It supplements the beekeeper. He's more inclined to have you come because he's working Yeah. and to be teaching and working at the same time is hard. But if you're just a, you don't have to tell me anything. I just want to watch. I want to see what's going on. I want to see how to light a smoker. Mm-hmm. How do you light one? So it doesn't go out. I mean, yeah, you, you did beekeeping. It yes. goes out. You're screwed, you know, and it's one of <laughs> you those got a things, hive you know, open. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got your hive open and the, it's not doing nothing, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, there's some certain trade skills that you should learn and pick up. I suggest you join a, a, a club, an organization mm-hmm. and listen to what they're doing locally in their area. That's part of that bees are for me is like, what, how are bees worked in your area? What time frames, what times of the year? So yeah, the, the basic stuff I would have done instead of just jumping in and buying all the equipment, because man, I even got bee lust at one time. I had, I had, you know, since I teach it, you know, I've got top bar hives. I've got weir hives. I got eco hives. I've got M3 hives. I've got Langstroth hives. Uh, I got Rosewood hives. So, I mean, there's six different systems. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I haven't covered Perone, haven't covered AZ highs. I mean, yeah. so it's like, you got to kind of figure out what you want to do and how do you do that? You know, invest in some time, read a couple books, uh, talk to some mentors, go to some club meetings, watch some YouTube videos, spend some time on educating yourself because this isn't a cheap uh, mm-hmm. experiment that a single beehive is going to cost you anywhere from a minimum, and I mean like a minimum of $250 to about $700 per hive. Mm-hmm. And if you lose that, you lose the bees out of there, you made an investment that don't have shit in it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, that's some stuff to think about. So I think education, I would have really dumped into education first. But then, you know, like I said, I, I went to, I, I wanted to learn commercial beekeeping. So that's why I went to Uganda. Mm-hmm. And went to the Department of Interior and stuff, and I learned what it was to be like to be a commercial beekeeper and how to how to manage those highs. And when we went, we built our own smokers by hand. Oh wow! So you 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 rolled the tin, you fastened together. That way, you knew how to fix and repair the bellows, how to clean a smoker. You know, I mean, there was a lot with it. What are better hive tools for you? So you got to manage and build a hive tool that was working for you. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, my hands are big, so I needed a, a longer, deeper high tool and stuff like that for my bigger hand. So, I mean, education is key. So, if I would have started all over again, I wish I would have worked with the Bryant brothers here in Wyoming, who were the one of the first beekeepers in Wyoming, that are the largest beekeepers in Wyoming, and our commercial beekeeper that can teach me about pest control and how to get into a beehive, how not to be scared, mm-hmm. how to do stuff like that, because you're going to get stung. You, you know, there you're not, there's no way around it. You're going to get stung. And it's a matter uh, if you're going to get stung once out of 500 hives, or if you're going to get stung 500 times from one hive. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's one of those things. I, I wish we would have learned some managerial skills before I really, really got into it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now you've built your company. Um, you've, do you have multiple roles? How many people do you have working with you now? Oh, I have four apiaries now and I employ five people. 
Okay. And each apiary has about five hives. So we're running about 250 to 500 hives. When we get over that, we sell them. Uh -huh. and we sell a lot of packaged bees. Okay. Uh, the, uh, I have one guy that's a gold panner. So during the summer, he's gold panning, and he helps us winterize the beehives and getting them out into the summer. Because okay. during the summertime, he's gold panning. Yeah. So it's, it's seasonal for him. Uh, but uh, we our operation is is about 250 hives is what we kind of manage. Yeah. And it's just good enough for what we do. We uh, have a contract with a granola company. Uh -huh. So the majority of our honey already goes to a, a consumer. Uh, which is good. I don't have to, uh -huh. you know, we don't do, we do very few farmers markets and stuff like that. Uh, we don't uh, ship a lot of honey anywhere. We, we, we do a local farmers market and we sell a lot of product by word of mouth uh -huh. and, and, and locally we, we promote local beekeepers. All my guys, you know, I have a guy in Colorado Springs that manage some hives. I've got uh, two locations here in Wyoming. I've got one in Fort Collins. And it's just one of those things that uh, if you're going to buy honey, you know, if you're from Syracuse, New York, I recommend Andrew Coit. Uh -huh, uh -huh. I mean, he's a different guy. He's a different kind of beekeeper, but he's local. Yeah. If you're, if you're uh, in Arizona, it's Dan Wilden. If it's, if you're in Texas, it's Jason Smith with JC Honeybees. Uh -huh. It's just, just depends where you are. If you're in Ohio, it's Greg Smith or Greg Burns uh -huh. with uh Nature Image Farms. Uh, if you're uh, in Georgia, it's the Fat Bee Man. It just yeah. depends. You know, it's like what area you're you're in. I try to get you to that local source where you're getting a good product because right now, man, um, competition. We're good because we we sell to a granola company. But when it comes to competition for honey, when you're bringing in honey at thirty five cents a pound from Vietnam, I I can't compete with that. No, I mean I. I mean, the, you know, here in the United States, big honey producers that sell to Subi honey, they're only selling their honey for $1.50 a pound, I think it is. Oh, my gosh. Right? And, you know, yeah. and you have to produce a minimum of 4,000 pounds to belong to that kind of co-op. So if you're producing 4,000 pounds at $1.50, you know, you're making, what, 40,000 bucks, you know, just in honey production. But I can't compete when they throw it on the shelf from Vietnam or from canola from canada I mean, uh -huh. canola in canada i mean they're, they're selling i think for 69 cents to a dollar a pound wow. and i can't i can't compete with that when you're when you've got stuff like that and it has to do with the type of beekeeping uh -huh. I mean, like from china and india you know there are a lot of additives huh you know there's it's like bottled water it doesn't have an fda approval thing yeah right so if it's 50 percent honey and 46% soy oil. It's honey. Yeah. Right? It goes on the shelf and it's, it's, I think it's 35 cents a pound wow. when it's done like that. Yeah. I can't compete with that. I mean, it's not all natural raw. I mean, to get it on the shelf, some people process it, uh -huh. which is cooking out all the stuff to get it on the shelf at that price. So it's, so it's liquid all the time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, in my business, my company, we do a lot of education. Education is our largest thing because we teach a system. We have yeah. a whole system that we develop for commercial beekeeping. So we make a lot of money that way. We make money from granola sales, and we make it from packaged bee sales. That we make a lot of nooks. That's the one thing that I teach. That's what the guy down in uh, Donnell Freeman, Freeman Family Farms in Colorado Springs, 
he does packages bees, makes queens and stuff like that. Uh, I have uh, Twyford, the, the gold panner. He helps us get out and stuff. And, but it's usually just me and my dad. And uh-huh. we just go out. We just, like say so we have a system. What we do in March, we start inoculating. In May, we inoculate. The beginning of April, we've done two inoculations for high. And then we do a brood break, which is a split system where we split the beehives down a little bit. Then we go into June where it's honey flow, where the bees should start building up and everything. And so we've developed a system that works pretty good for us in our area. That's the one thing I can't, you know, we're not in Florida. Right Mm -hmm. in Florida, they've already done honey flow now twice. Wow. Texas, probably they've done it once. California, twice. I mean, the almonds are are done, right? So they've Mm -hmm. already done an almond run and they're getting avocados and apples. And I mean, so... It just depends on like the area that you're working in, the the temperature and climate. I know in Florida they've already done massive swarm removals, and we don't have swarms here yet until, you know, yeah. I still got frost on the ground until Mother's Day. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, we just had a blizzard two days ago, so I mean, wow. it's just one of those things about manipulation in your area. But we do, our company does pretty well, and there's a lot of companies here that are small, and we promote them. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't want to compete with you. Right. We've got our own agenda. If you're selling honey at the farmer's market, uh, you probably won't see me there. Then I'm probably going to go by and say, you know, this is the cat. He's local. Support mm-hmm. him. Support mm-hmm. him, right? That he needs your, he needs your help too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What would you say the biggest mistake that beginning beekeepers make is? I mean, you talked about uh, education earlier. The biggest mistake I think that they're, that they're not going to do is they're not going to check their hives. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest one. Is the, and, and they don't know what they're checking for, uh-huh. I guess is what I should say. Why should I be checking them, uh-huh. right? Why, why are you checking yours every 9 to 11 days? Well, mites occur every, every seven days. So if I see them on the ninth day, I know I need to, to treat. Uh, queens uh, pop out every 15 days, so I'm going to try to catch them before they swarm. Uh-huh. I'm going to make sure that I'm getting into honey flow. Um, there's a lot that, that goes with that. I think it's about... I don't think beekeepers, when they get their beehive, they're so excited. They finally got it all set up the way they, that they want it and everything. And then they don't know what they're, what they're looking for. And I think that's the big thing. One reason why I say work with a mentor or a club or, or whatever, or some, or some group that's developed the system. And we're all using this and we're going to go to this guy's beehive this weekend and your beehive next weekend, or these two, these two apiaries this week. And we all work together, I think what are you really looking for and what are you doing with your bees? Mm-hmm. Those are the two things. What are you looking for in that beehive when you're doing your inspection and why do you have them? Mm-hmm. Do you just have them? Are you a bee haver? Are you looking to pollinate your garden? If you're pollinating your garden, you don't set your beehives in the garden. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest mistake people think is <laughs> I set my beehive in the garden yeah, yeah, your bees are never going to find it. They do an orientation flight that's 10 to 15 feet in the air, and they're flying off. So if they're in the garden, they missed your garden. So you got to mm-hmm. learn. I mean, what are, you, what are you using your bees for? So get a mentor. Uh, if you're getting into commercial beekeeping, work with somebody that's going to teach you how to make lots of bees, right? Because mm-hmm. you're going to lose them. You're going to lose them. And I think those are some, you know, some big things is how to requeen how to make queens, what am I inspecting for, and why do I have them? Uh-huh. If I have the bees for pollination for my garden, I need to learn how to keep the bees in my area so that way they're not swarming into my neighbor's house 
or uh, leaving my beehive. So how do I make queens and make splits to, to manage them so I can work with the bees year round? And uh, Why do I have them? Am I, am I making a product? Am I going to sell it? How am I going to sell it? Where am I going to sell it? Who am I going to sell it to? You know, you should, you should get all those things kind of ramped up before you get into it and kind of base out. And it sounds, there's a lot to do before you even get into beekeeping. Then you're telling me it's expensive, but I just told you working with the schools and stuff, I showed them that basically a dollar makes a hundred bucks. Uh-huh. Right. So once you get going and stuff, you can make money at this. And it's also a good hobby to get outside. I uh-huh. mean, it's, it's something that, you know, it, it's going to, you know, you put on a suit, you sweat a little bit. Uh-huh. You get out there, you work, and I think it's pretty good for people. What do you think the youngest kid that you can get involved with this is? Because my kids right now are three and five, so they're probably still a little young? No, five. Five, okay. Five. I think five is a good thing because uh, their attention spans like a goldfish. Yes. Right, but when you're, you know, when a beehive uh, at five, that's when you can actually tell them, you know, this is where you need to stand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. This is how we suit up. Right. You need duct tape. We're gonna put it around your gloves, your neck, where the zipper goes. About you know, when they're three and stuff, that's they're too busy running around and stuff like that. But at mm-hmm. five, you can kind of get them interested because it's bugs. We're yeah. bugs. Yeah. Right. And you know, you kind of get them interested. Like I said, with the window highs, like we got, you can pull the the board off. You can. They can kind of see them working in there. They don't even have to get into the beehive. So then you can uh, remove that fear factor mm-hmm. With mm-hmm. before you get into it. And then you can tell them, hey, stand over here. And I want you to, I want you to videotape dad, right? So you want, you know, that kind of gets yeah. they're working the, they're working the iPhone or whatever, and they're watching you and they're doing something. Yeah. I think five is a pretty good place to start them. Uh, my son's 12. Mm-hmm. I think I started him at seven and stuff uh he has a terrible allergy to bees so he doesn't work bees now he works actually in cells okay right so as a young guy at the booth barking as a barker right <laughs> hey come try her honey you know people are like seeing the little kid you know and they're kind of persistent and they don't want to push the guy away you know when you're an old yeah. guy hey come buy her honey they're like yeah yeah we got you but this little kid we got honey sticks we got all kinds of stuff and yeah he makes a good barker right uh-huh. out there to, to kind of drive people into the booth and stuff like that. So, you know, at young age, they say five, uh, they get more in tune when they're about seven, when they're getting into school and they're starting to learn stuff. Uh-huh. So when you start them at five and you're like, we're going to go out now that they, they can suit up when they get into high school. Uh, I enjoy high school kids a lot. Uh, uh-huh. I enjoy them a lot. Because uh, they want to do hands-on. They want to handle a frame. Uh-huh. They want to kiss the bees. Yeah. Right? And, you know, and when you get really in tune, like, so there's some pictures of me where you see me kissing the bees. I always tell everybody, wear protective equipment. Don't don't be me. Don't be dumb. Yeah. yeah. Right? But, you know, when you're working with kids and you pull out a frame and the bees are really docile, you say, oh, give them a kiss, right? You know, and you teach yeah. them, you know, how to kiss them so that, you know, all their tails are down and kiss them and yeah. stuff. And they hold up that frame and they're like, Dude, you wouldn't believe, man. I was working with some bees and we were kissing them and stuff. And they're like, you were doing what? Yeah, man, it was super cool. I reached in there and the beekeeper told me that there's a $50 bill inside there. If I can get it in there and out of there, working those bees slow without those bees swarming all around, I could keep it. You know, there's some incentives and stuff. And I like working with high school kids a lot. Yeah, very cool. If you could pick one, what would be your favorite farming tool? My favorite farming tool? Yes, or beekeeping tool, I guess you could call it. Uh, 
Well, I'll go with farming. Uh, I went and saw a guy. His name's Bent McKibben. He owns Neoteric Farms in Colorado. And he had this wheel roller thing. And you put tape seeds in it. Okay. You wheel it out and put all the seeds down and stuff. And he had, I thought that was cool. Uh, he had a machine that uh, you put your foot on it. And you stomped it in the ground. And then you dropped your plant yep. down it. And when you pull it up, you put the plant. There are some really super cool farming tools. I think the the planting aspect tools, like that seed belt yeah. machine, that was cool. And that tube where you drop the plants in was pretty cool that I saw when it came to farming. Uh, when it comes to beekeeping, I think the coolest tool that uh, that you can get out there is a suit. Okay. Uh, yes. I've traveled, man, and <laughs> and I've traveled all over, man, and I've seen some super cool suits. Uh, there's a guy in Turkey, man. He has one that it's, uh, you know, have you ever seen those blow up sumo? Yeah. Things that bounce. Well, he's got one that's like that. So the suit's air conditioning. Oh, wow. Right? So that way you're not sweating in that suit's blowing air in that suit, man. It was super cool. I was yeah. like, man, that's, that was smart thinking. And he's got it so that the reason it's made that way is it's rubber on the outside. So you can work with Africanized honeybees. Oh, that way you can get in there and do big, you know, like, man, I'd I'd like to buy one and and, uh, move to Arizona or somewhere in Texas and do some of those swarm removals where they've got those killer bees and walk right in there. Because right now it's the firefighters in those big, heavy suits. That way they don't get stung with all those multiple bees working at you and stuff. Uh, I think some bee suits are super, super elaborate, super cool that, uh, you know, it's not necessarily the hive tool. Everybody needs one. Everybody needs a smoker. But a really nice, man, bee suit that you can work in and uh, enjoy being in and stuff's really cool. That mm-hmm. right now during this uh, COVID stuff, that's something I walk through. <laughs> at, the grocery at, store at the local, Yeah, you know, I got my bee veil on stuff. It keeps people away about the social distancing and got my gloves on. And I'm like, you, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm good to go. So it's all good. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, where can people find out more about you and your work? Well, we used to have a web page. We took it down because uh, I generate more work work on social media than I do anywhere. Okay. That uh, people like to look at a web page and stuff. But if you catch, you know, I have a YouTube channel mm-hmm. uh, about mead making that you can see us mead making all the time. Uh, even my son mead making, how he makes dumb, dumb sucker meads and stuff. So on YouTube, we have some good videos on it at Michael Jordan, a AB friendly company. Uh, uh, you see us doing uh, American Sign Language beekeeping on Instagram. Okay. You can catch us on Instagram, but on Facebook, uh, AB Friendly Company Incorporated on Facebook. Look up Michael Jordan beekeeping. Uh, people just Google it. You can write Michael Jordan beekeeping and there'll be thousands of podcasts and movies and you know, mm-hmm. I help with vanishing beekeepers and all kinds of stuff that I do a lot of beekeeping. So social media and stuff, we used to have like I said, a web page, but uh, I don't want to pay a web designer and all that stuff to keep that up because I'm not, I'm out in the field. I'm a, I'm a, mm-hmm. I'm a hands-on guy. So I don't want to manage one of those, but on Facebook you can get Michael Jordan or you can email me a B E E friendly company, all one word at gmail.com. You can write your questions there. I, man, I get back to everybody or uh, my dad does. Or, you know, we, we get back to everybody and we can help you out. I love answering questions. I love people getting started. And 
I teach every year at the University of Wyoming's B College. Mm -hmm. uh, we have three-day event. You can come, and I can go over commercial beekeeping with you. Um, if you want to have someone come and, and teach you how to do these products, you just email me. We'll set up a, a time uh, and stuff. I get uh, usually about now is when everybody starts calling because I yeah. think it's what, March, April? This yeah, is when yep. people really start calling and stuff and start booking. We don't book out years in advance. I try to only do a year's worth of events. Uh, I try to stop uh, about October because in November, I like to go down to Texas to uh, the Survival Podcast, and I do a special mead event and uh -huh. mead-making event for Jack Spearco down there. And I like to save my November for them and take my wife down and stuff and butcher pig and Mm -hmm. teach everybody about charcuterie and stuff like that so after that then we kind of ramp back up about february when we start having people call about hey can we get on your list for package bees can we get on your list and then march is when we start inoculating and going stuff through and that's when we do a lot between march and mother's days when we ramp up our company really well and then it's just basically maintaining for honey flow june july august september mm -hmm. that's when I, I can kind of get out and I travel a little bit. I can look at, I can inspect your bee yard with you, walk through with you, see it, show you what I would adjust, uh -huh. what I would do with it and stuff. So yeah, that's about my time frame. But Facebook and uh, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, you can always catch and see what we're doing and posting on those things. Very cool. I gave you some of those links, I believe. Yes. Yeah. I've got those links. Yeah. So again, thank you so much, Michael, for coming on today. Appreciate it. Um, yeah. Appreciate you reaching out and just saying, Hey, I can, I can talk to your people about bees <laughs> and absolutely you can. I've learned so much and it's actually given me to the point of, you know, I'd love to actually get back into it. Cause you know, when I, I did it was over a decade ago when we had our hives um, and we just didn't have the, the right systems in place. So we just, every single year they died on us. Um, so yeah, system beekeeping, that's the mm -hmm. key is, like I said, I mentioned almost six different beehives there. Uh -huh. Which one are you going to use and why are you using it? Yes, yeah, so you got to develop a system. Uh -huh. Yeah, and you gave me a guy in Ohio here, so I'm going to reach out to him and uh, just get involved and see where it goes. So Yeah, Greg Burns yeah. with uh, Nature Airmates Farm. Great yeah. guy. Dude, great guy. You'll love him. Okay. All right. Again, thank you, Michael. You have a great uh, rest of your day and can't wait to share this with our audience. You bet. Thank you very much, Mike. Yep. Hey, Thriving Farmers. So next week on the podcast, Andy Che will be joining me from Fish Eye Farms, which is a small market garden in Detroit, Michigan. It's a fascinating interview. We go in everything from how they've set up their infrastructure to farming in a very uh, different environment, an urban environment. We talk about some of the unique tools he's using and uh, systems, how they manage their farm. Um, he farms with his wife, Amy. We talk about the dynamics and kind of like what each of them specialize in. So make sure you tune in next week for another fascinating interview of the Thriving Farmer podcast. So there you have it. Another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.